0: This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at
1: mediaweek.com.au.
0: Welcome to a new Media Week Podcast. We're going to be doing something a little bit different today. We're going to be talking advertising, but a sort of specific area of advertising. We're going to be talking out of home. with the um, We've got a couple of guests from PosterScope, Stephen White, now you're our international guest today. You've flown in from the UK, touching down Australia for a couple of days, and you're the um, global president of PosterScope. correct?
1: Yes, that's right. Yep. Great to be here.
0: Uh, welcome. And Brian, Brian McGee, now you run the business in Australia, right? That's right. Yep. I'm yep. the
2: managing director of Postscope Australia.
0: Okay. Well, welcome to you as well. Now, you're not an outdoor company, are you? But you deal in the out-of-home space. Set it up for me. Exactly what is Postscope? Okay, Brian. <laughs> so
2: so uh, Postscope, we're an, an out-of-home planning and buying business so we we um plan and buy out of home on behalf of clients we work predominantly with media agencies although some clients direct and yeah we we're responsible for the for the purchasing of their out of home media
0: so you're sort of a, a conduit between the companies with all the outdoor assets and the media the advertisers that want to get onto those assets yeah absolutely can, right and you can uh, instead of getting falling for maybe what the outdoor company wants to sell them, you can strategize the best way to spend the available...
1: Yeah, uh, uh, we work for our advertising clients, not for the media owners, the media vendors. So our job is to ensure that we plan those campaigns effective, as effectively as possible and deliver campaigns that are effective and demonstrably so. And and we work, obviously, in partnership with the media vendors. Yes. It's not an adversarial relationship. Okay. But our, you know, our responsibility is to the advertiser... Not to the media owners, in that yep. sense. What percentage of people would use
0: a service like yours in the out-of-home out of industry, do you think? Or well, of I mean,
2: uh, so out-of-home makes up about 6% of the total spend, depending on which data source you're looking at. I mean, if it's SMI, it's 12 it's, to it's 13%. So, you know, we're a, we're a sort of growing part of the media pie, if you like. Um, but we are the only out of home buying specialist in Australia. So, in okay. lots of other markets where specialist planning and buying is an accepted model, you know, there's, there's, we, our poster scope has competitors who offer the same service. But in Australia, which we are a market of sort of generalists, we are the only
0: specialist out of home buyer. Does that make sense? Yeah. Would some media agencies
1: have their own in house? Out of home specialists. Yes, I mean all the other agencies in Australia that plan and buy out of home are generalists that have people, mm-hmm. teams in their in their business who will probably look at several different media channels and plan and buy several different media channels. In the UK, where obviously I come from, um, the specialist model in out of home is the norm. So right. almost all major advertisers would get their out of home planning and buying conducted by um Posterscope are one of our direct competitors yes um, and many markets are the same US is the same many European markets are the same and here um, we're proud to be the only one that that has that kind of deep subject matter expertise we think it's a complex medium we think it can be done brilliantly and we can be done less brilliantly and, and so we think a specialist the deep subject matter expertise a specialist has is, is very useful and very powerful for our clients
0: it's a sector that's had some amazing growth, hasn't it, in, um, in recent years. Is, is there, a, is there a, a long way to go? And how does Australia rank in terms of the spend on this, this
1: sector globally? I think it's, uh, let me answer that first. Yeah. It's, it's, the, growth, the growth here has been phenomenal, mostly driven by a very, very fast growth in digital out of home, um, probably by the fastest of the major markets in the world in terms of how quickly it's come on. And there's good, good growth in the market. Um, It's about a 6%, as Brian says, a 6-7% share, which is of total media expenditure on advertising, which is about average uh, internationally in developed countries. Um, But its rate of growth currently is one of the highest in in the world, Um, driven, I guess, by a fundamental outdoor lifestyle and mentality, um, by some concerns around other channels um, in terms of, Ad fraud and other things in online, and the fact that it works, um, and becoming because it's becoming more digital, it's becoming more attractive to more advertisers.
2: Mm. Yeah, and just to add to that, I mean, with the with the highest growing channel compared to to the others, so we grew at eleven percent last year. We're fortunate enough to be in an economy which maybe you know signs of slowing down, but you know twenty seven years of, of growth, we've we've had a pretty sort of buoyant media market. So within that. Out of home has fared, fared well, and some of the, the um, points that Stephen's raised about digital penetration, um, growing audience, and and clients clients like it. I mean, it's highly visible. Um, so it's we're very fortunate to work in in a channel with
0: such good growth. Yeah, and there's no messy content to get in the way. That's, there's there's a, no. There's a, the, what are you? What's the term? Is it like? Is it a pure? What do you say? It's a pure, pure. I think the communication
1: I, direct yeah, to the consumer. It's, it's direct to the consumer. And, it's not and, banded in with something else. And there's a kind of, there's obviously a huge amount of focus right now on, on personalization and targeting one to one marketing messages. And one of the, and clearly out of home isn't that. We can focus it, we can target into areas around times of day when we know certain kinds of people tend to be passing, but it is a one to many medium. And there's a kind of honesty in that, and there's a transparency in the public nature of the medium, I think, is is a very attractive thing. It doesn't feel like it's manipulating or targeting you or following you in the way that some channels do. Um, and it's unblockable. Hmm. Um, and ad blocking is a, is becoming a big issue, and sure. it's an unblockable medium. It's also a medium, I think, that that kind of adds to your daily joy. It doesn't get in the way. It doesn't obstruct your access to what you're trying to get to. It's... It's around us. It's environmental, and it's easy to consume and un, and unthreatening in that sense.
0: The growth in revenue you alluded to the the sort of digitization where lots of um, former static displays, I guess, now uh, electronic, and you can change the messaging and um, run motion and things like that. Will when that's will that reach a point where it's there's nothing more to do and will that level off then the growth, do you think? Or is there room for it to to sort of blossom further I before? think we're
1: a long way away <laughs> from a leveling oh, yeah. off. Yeah, because we were talking about this earlier in a meeting we had today. Dynamic serving dynamic content, i.e. content that's that's there because of some data trigger because of the time of day or the temperature or the business results of the advertiser that's that's the retailers' sales have gone down on that particular product and they serve a particular ad. Is still in its infancy, really. It's a small, small proportion. We reckon around about two or three percent of all digital out of home in Australia is dynamically enabled. Mm-hmm. Um, in the UK, it's maybe four to five percent. So, till, so oh, even though it's half, it. it's half of the oh. out of home market digital, but dynamic content in out of home is still a tiny percentage. So, before that gets to the point of of leveling off, we've a way to go, and we would we would love there to be more dynamic content because it's proven to be far more effective. Contextually relevant advertising is always more effective. Um, so we're we're on kind of charge to do that. We bought a dynamic content serving platform, which we're rolling out globally. So we have the technology within our business to help clients manage that content, create that content, edit that content in real time. Um, but again. Australia the u k the US, probably the three most advanced markets, but there are still at kind of three, four, five percent of all digital advertising is is dynamic. so there's a way to go
0: and that's I guess that's a long term process. is it of just educating the um advertisers, getting the creative that works is, it's quite a big deal it's a it's a major change from what you've been doing, I guess is it
1: yeah, I mean it's I'm, it's not educating, it's proving and demonstrating, okay. i guess I mean. Creative agencies can be nervous because they think it might take away some creative control, um, which it doesn't need to, or it can if that's what the situation demands. And they and we want something that's relevant. We, the, the classic example would be creative around things like lotteries where you're counting down to the draw. Um, there's no big kind of creative argument over that. So we need to work with creative agencies and, and convince them and we need to persuade clients via case history um, evidence that shows you them the difference it can make to their business. And we've seen that. And clients that do move to dynamic content stick with it. They don't tend to go back to a sort of more static approach. They seem to stick to it, and they tend to increase their investment in the medium as a result of it because they see the ROI improving alongside.
0: Has part of that growth, and I'll ask you, Brian, is the part of the growth in revenues for the sector, Is that come as a partly new money to advertising and is or is there a shift away from some of the other sectors yeah look i think no no doubt that <clears throat> out of home's taken some share from
2: other channels probably television in this market because there's been some challenges with with tv audiences and we've got a we've got a channel that's growing in audience um but i think that, you know it's just the the possibilities of what you can do and we're just starting to really understand it and, and, you know, get in front of clients and creative agencies and and prove, you know, its effectiveness. So, you know, there is so much more opportunity. There are things that we need to do to kind of, you know, maintain that growth. We need to um, verify that all the campaigns that are running are actually delivered, just like television does, just like um, online does, and we've got solutions for all of that. So, you know, some of the things that we talked about earlier, you know, we, we don't have transparency issues. Uh, we don't have the ad fraud. We don't have ad blockers. I think clients have looked at some of those other channels and probably feel a bit more secure in, you know, they want to see their ad when they go to work or, you know, it's highly visible. So there's so many positive things going for the channel. Um, and and we're, we're blessed to be in a in a market which is known for innovation, And clients
0: like testing new things and they like doing things differently. Do you have case studies that, I presume you do, but (laughs) I'll pretend I don't know. But do you have (laughs) case studies that you roll out and and you'll say to people, look, if you're spending, let's say you're spending 100, whatever it is, and you might have been spending 10 on outdoor, if you take some more of that and put it into outdoor, your results will incrementally Improve, or is there just a smarter way of spending that money they're already tipping in?
1: Of course, we have case studies, and we we and we have client confidentiality too. So there's a frustration sometimes in in things we wish we could talk about that we can't. Um, but it's, it is about taking evidence. Um, we generally don't um, pitch ourselves against other channels. I mm-hmm. mean, kind of go in there and say buy out of home, stop buying this is not a particularly helpful way to go. Plus, out of home has a wonderful. Um, overlapping relationship with things like mobile marketing, radio Um, so you know it's good that we work with those and the medium needs to be more connected with those other channels so we tend to focus on better ways to use out of home and why does out of home work rather than knocking other channels or um, you know in any way trying to be Difficult and, sure. and challenging in that way, but, but evidence is critical. I mean, as a medium, historically, out of home has never had a very easy way of proving its effectiveness. People have instinctively felt that it was good and it worked and it was capable of reaching a lot of people very quickly and broadcasting a good brand message. But in today's world of cookies and, and pixels and wanting to see the result immediately, um, the medium has had to work really hard to improve its it's use of data and its audience measurement capabilities to prove that impact. And so we focus very much on what will happen if you spend this and what will happen if you would put dynamic in the mix, for example, and what will the uplift be there providing evidence to support it.
2: Yeah, and just to build on that, I mean one of the <clears throat> one of the I suppose the not maybe the criticisms leveled at us being a specialist is that we are siloed and, and we and we sit in our own kind of bubble. Um, you know the counter is always the, the the need for specialism in in a in what can be a complicated channel, but we absolutely have to be fully integrated with the other channels, and that's where we work. You know we embed ourselves with the media agencies um, to deliver an integrated media mix or an integrated media um, plan. So we give the specialism, um, but we also give the the you know the fully fleshed out media response as
0: well. Right. Are there for some clients um, or either specific clients or specific um, advertising sectors that outdoor works a lot better for them and they tend to pile in more money than than other people? Yeah, I think traditionally you,
2: you, you look at categories like banking, finance, you know, autos. I mean, out of homes traditionally known for delivering sort of rapid broadcast reach. Um so they they've it's always worked really well for them what we 've seen is the digitization of inventory has opened up categories that previously wouldn 't have used it, so we see a lot more retailers using it now. you know Stephen was talking earlier about dynamic you can have price sensitive messaging you can get campaigns up really quickly you can you can change the price you can take them down so it works it works well for most categories, and I think the growth has come
0: from those new categories that previously hadn't used it okay because that's that used to be more TV space, didn't it? Like if somebody wanted a big sale, big retail sale, they'd make sure they are on TV on a Sunday night if the sale starts Monday. But now you've got more alternatives.
1: Yeah, I mean it like, used to be a medium that you'd buy in 2 weeks slugs, you'd have to print posters, you'd have to post posters. It was a, wasn't the fast and rapid response medium whereas now you can go from literally picking up the phone to make a booking to serving up assuming the content exists already in digital format within... An hour mm. so it has that immediacy and you don't necessarily it varies by market again but by country but the, the way you can buy the medium is more flexible now and getting more and more flexible so in in, in the UK now it's possible to literally buy by the hour by the day or even by only when a certain trigger is reached for example a weather trigger or a sales figure or a, we're doing a campaign right now in the UK around pollen count for example and the ads will only be bought I don't mean content triggered, I mean, inventory purchased when the pollen count hits a certain level. So that flexibility, I think, is what's attracting those new advertisers to it. It's not that long term thing any longer. Because you mentioned buying in sort of day parts, if you like,
0: whereas before, yeah, you'd have to buy for a week or two weeks or a month or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's helping raise the, the revenues for the sector. Is there any pushback at all from advertisers who think it's, it's costing more to buy the day part? Because they have to share with, you know, there might be six clients, for example, say on a rotating or a three or I don't know if there's a standard. But whereas before
1: at least they owned the whole thing, they owned all the messaging. I guess there so. are clients. <laughs> I mean, there are still clients who want to own. Yeah. And, and you know, even, even, even if it's a digital screen, they want to own every single minute right. of that digital screen. But most clients are interested in the audience they reach. Um, and as long as the quality of the audience is there, and as long as the campaign as a whole delivers the volume and the frequency of, of viewing that the campaign requires, they're less concerned about sharing it. But there are there are clients who have that. Some of the biggest advertisers in the world will demand that solace presence, whether it's digital or paper. Okay. Um, not necessarily the most cost-efficient way of spending <laughs> their money, but from a kind of corporate pride point of view or from a total domination Launch of a new product, for example, a new car, new new phone, something like that. They'll demand that.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's the there's you know cl- classic, which is the sort of old paper version of at home, if you like. Definitely has a, as a place, and it's how you use the old and the new to solve clients' business problems. So that so you know you as Stephen's pointing out, you use them in two different ways. Um, and the the thing that's interesting is you know you mentioned share a voice. Mm that um, that's why when we talk about uh, having a solution to verify the delivery, um, I think, you know, clients are used to paying premiums if you're buying peak-only television or, or, or being one of six ads. You just you just need to prove that you're getting what you pay for. I think we're very fortunate to live in Australia where we're one of the only markets globally that's working on a solution for that. Um, and I think the sooner we can get to that and not be talking about it, um,
0: it should keep the flow of ad dollars coming through to the channel can, if you're buying if you're buying digital assets and you're, you're updating them reasonably regularly can the client virtually control that flow or is it good to go <clears throat> send it to the you know can they upload artwork directly or does it is it safer to always have an intermediary? Yeah, our, our live posting platform
1: does allow you obviously have to have some training mm. um, but we have several client examples where the client team production team was trained in in our live poster platform i'm thinking for example of the uh camelot which is the operator of the national lottery in the united kingdom okay. where they had the ability to to upload variations on copy themselves um, we've also done that around world cup events um, so it is entirely possible as long as there's some training there's a platform and you have to know how to use the platform um, but yes i mean it isn't something that requires 15 chains of agencies to control it
0: sure has anyone ever hacked a, a I think
2: digital screen? Lots of people try. <laughs> I mean, the security measures that they have to put in place are very, very tight because, you know, you've got a, um, a big canvas to potentially, you know, put some stuff up there, which, which, which you, you shouldn't be. But um, I think the media operators, they've obviously got responsibilities to the landlords to sites they represent, but they also understand the, the power of what we're trying to do. So it's, you know, a lot of the trust is solved through technology. Um, and it's, it's kind of pigeon steps in terms of the campaigns that you put up, and you know, like I said, locally we, we we're running more and more dynamic campaigns. We're getting more and more sophisticated with what we do with it, and the clients are seeing the benefit.
1: I think you knew the answer to that question before you answered it because you <laughs> chuckled. And of course, there have been some hacks in the in the early days before the screens were properly networked. It was possible sometimes just to kind of dive into the player in the back of the in the back of the box behind the screen, and and there were some few issues around the world on that but now it's a little bit tighter and more secure mm-hmm. and those screens are generally networked now and and controlled from a central point rather than played by a local player which is where the weakness was before and
0: of course you it's easy to hack the the traditional outdoor poster isn't it of course just roll up and slap up whatever you want to put, put a ladder up exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be surprised it still happens away you go I'll get an answer off both of you on this one too. What is the regulation like in Australia and elsewhere regarding um, motion on those digital screens?
2: Yeah, I and mean it the, depends on the location. It too, depends on the location. so obviously if you're next to a freeway you you can't have full motion. Um, uh, there are there are certain environments it's really well suited to sort of a retail environment or an airport. but I, th- I think it's pretty similar in terms of what you can and can't do. Australia versus Yeah, there the are UK. some
1: countries that, that literally ban it completely. Really? any In any environment, uh, in essence, it's indoor. Um, but, but as Brian says, it's mostly limited to that. So roadside, full motion is a, is a very difficult thing to justify from a road safety point of view. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it tends to be indoor environments.
0: Mm. And, uh, and my understanding, there's quite a lot of self-regulation anyway in, the, in this sector too, yeah, because they understand... You've got to be seen to be doing the right corporate thing, yeah. Hundred percent. So if, mm. if you're if you're not yeah, if you if you're not seen to be doing it, mm. some at
2: some point someone will regulate you and, and tell you what to do. And I think that's probably more evident in the UK around things like HFSs, and we we certainly have you know mm. alcohol restrictions and gambling restrictions um, locally. So yeah, you, you definitely have to be seen to be doing the right thing.
1: Yes. But every screen and every billboard comes with planning permission in almost every market. And that planning permission will dictate the kind of usage in terms of full motion versus static images, for example. So it's it's legislated and, and prescribed from the day the, s- the screen or the site is built and then through to the content that's displayed on it, mostly by self-regulation um, in most markets, Yeah. Or except around things like alcohol cigarettes and high-salt sugar fat type sure. products. They're the yeah. only real categories that get... Yeah, and look, we, you know, as a as, as a
2: planner of these campaigns, you know, we've got the technology now to be able to, you know, when you're putting the plans together, to exclude certain zones. So if it is a alcohol brand, we can exclude, you know, perimeters around schools or or any other locations that that would be deemed sort of irresponsible to be advertising there. So it's, you know, it's, it's it's as much the the agency and the the people who are selling the inventory to, you know, take responsibility for that.
0: What is um, Australia like when it comes to the availability of sites and the propensity of the local authorities to allow new sites, additional sites? Is it is it getting tougher? Yeah, and it depends on what state you're operating
2: in. Um, so some states are, are kind of more stringent, and if, you know you got to think about the aesthetics of the cities, and you know there are examples globally where. Out of home advertising has been banned altogether from from cities, but um, I think you know we certainly have enough good inventory um, around the, the country, and there's and there's and there's more good
0: inventory coming. So
2: yeah, and, and I guess
0: the the upside is if the if there's the good thing about not too much inventory, it makes it relatively in demand. Because if it was everywhere wouldn't be so special i think think the
1: major change in most markets is the quality of it as opposed to the volume of it so we've seen you know the digitization of the medium we've talked about already but also within any format there's been a huge improvement in the quality in almost all major developed markets of the sites themselves how they appear um, where they appear exactly you know, It may, may have been one on that particular street before, but they've just slightly repositioned it into a, into a more discreet, more visible place. Um, so I think it's more about quality than quantity. Mm. And digitization obviously provides more opportunities for advertisers. There may be um, three of those a minute or four of those a minute on one screen, whereas on a paper and paste basis, obviously it'd be the same advertiser for two weeks, four weeks, however long it's booked for. So there is a volume gain in that. So I think it's quality more than the desire for more sites in most developed countries. It's the oldest medium, so we've had plenty of time to build a lot of inventory. It's a question of making sure it's the right one and the ones in demand are the ones that stay.
0: And is it hard to get on? I mean, if it's growing, there's lots of people buying it, can there be um, issues with, you know, if a client comes in and wants to get on and and you, you hear, look, we just haven't got anything available.
2: I mean. Yeah, certainly. I think if you go back to those the, the classic, you know, the, the the paper sites. There's some amazing sort of we call them blue ribbon sites that you know you have to buy that stuff six months, sometimes a year in advance if if you if you want that prime real estate. Uh, less so with digital um, because you know if if they want to, they can they can put more advertisers into a loop and and create more inventory. But um at the moment, we we sort of we're seeing a, a, a balance, a good balance of supply. I think you know, we touched on it earlier. The more screens they put into the grounds, um, the more that they digitise. Depending on the growth of the market, um, we we could be entering a period of sort of oversupply, and no one wants
0: that because then prices go down. Yeah, prime sites. You mentioned you know booking well out. I mean, everyone in Sydney would think of the Coke sign. At- up the cross, I guess, would be one of the iconic um, spots in Australia. Another one outside Flinders Street Station in Melbourne, perhaps, the on the corner there, the Young and Jacksons Hotel. Yeah. What else is sort of... I mean, if you look at the, the silos over at Piermont
2: Bridge, I mean, that, that thing is sold exclusively to a telco on a two-year deal. So, you know, you, you can't get in and around that for two years and when it comes up for renewal, it will be sold again. And you know, I think there are some... Beautiful examples of some some great, iconic uh, locations around all of the the cities in uh, Australia. Melbourne and Sydney particularly have some some great examples. So, So that's why you need your specialists, I think, to really understand and get out to those locations. And it's a big country we live in, right? And you've got to cover a lot of ground, but to really understand what that specific site looks like, how the screen's positioned, are there other screens around it, is it obstructed by a building or, or a tree? Um, so it's a, there's a lot of time and effort goes into really understanding the planning of it. Stephen,
0: um, you travel around the world, in and out of post offices. You should be pretty familiar with all the big sites. What's the, what would be the most expensive bit of um, out-of-home real estate? <laughs> Times Square. Times Square? Kind of,
1: it's bound to be Times Square or Piccadilly yeah. Circus in London. Well,
0: they're the two that come to mind. Aren't yeah, they? I mean, they, they,
1: they are... are. Um, and we're talking about kind of prime real estate, then than probably Piccadilly Circus, now called Piccadilly Lights. Okay. It's now rebuilt for, for anyone that hasn't been to London recently, and it looks, I and mean, it was amazing before, it looks absolutely amazing now. Um, 21st century screen technology. So, probably the most expensive and probably the most iconic, but Times Square obviously is, is famous in, in, in all sorts of ways. There's a huge screen in Saudi. In Saudi. Mm-hmm. um it's the biggest digital screen in the world um not as famous but but it's scale is unbelievable um, Tokyo. Tokyo as well but there are also some fantastic building hoardings we're talking a lot about digital today but there's some fantastic building wraps around the world some temporary some permanent which I think and again New York City Manhattan has many of those um but yeah my favorite is Piccadilly I mean if and if you go to London, it's worth hopping on the tube or getting in a cab and going to look at that And people do, that don't new they? screen setup. Yeah, people do. It really is. I mean, and we're talking big money. We're talking quite you, big money. It's a substantial investment. It's to a get substantial, there. but it's a long-term investment as well. It's not something you can buy. You can actually buy part of it on a rolling basis, but the majority of the advertisers on Piccadilly Lights are long-term holders of those positions. Little we haven't touched on airports at all, and if you're talking about the kind of you know how tough it can be to get prime real estate. Um, some of the major airport hubs, hu- hubs, sorry, around the world are very highly sought after and, and very competitive and difficult to get onto. Um, again, echoing what Brian said, you know you need to know your way around that market to to launch a campaign across major airport hubs, whichever region you're talking about. Um, there's always a way. So hubs you're talking about, things like
0: Dubai, Hong Kong, Singapore? Heathrow. Heathrow.
1: Sydney, Schiphol in, in Holland, all the major hubs. Okay. Beijing, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Across the US. Generally speaking, we're talking in terms of there's advertising, obviously, in every single airport around the world. The ones that track the biggest business travel volumes are the ones that command the biggest premiums from an advertiser uh, point of view. And
0: in those iconic sites, are we more talking about brand advertising, brand reinforcement, as yeah. opposed to
1: what's
0: call to arm, call to action, tactical? Or tactical? Yeah. yeah, I
1: think that's a fair comment. I think the price of those iconic sites means that they need to be adding real long term value, not be focused so much on a short term promotion, so smaller formats. And, Six sheets or smaller formats like that tend to be used more heavily for tactical and promotional and retail orientated activity, and those iconic sites will be about occasionally about launching a new product, for example, which is directly about sales, but as big brand statement for Apple or Samsung or Ford or whoever it may be yeah. um, they're expensive sites and so they serve that bigger purpose
0: so for posterscope clients, I guess you you brief them and keep them up to date with developments and opportunities. Um, what are, what are the sort of frontiers for out of home? I mean, what are we going to see in maybe maybe as soon as this year or in the future, future years? So for us, what we're working on right
2: now is is you know the the use of location data. So data derived from you know your mobile phones. How we can use that to better understand where our audience is kind of knowing where they live but where they work, what their commute is. And I think the, the relationship between mobile advertising, because it's a location platform as well, and the out of home screen, obviously with the rest of the, the channels, I think there's some really interesting um, work ahead and opportunities for clients to to make their campaigns more targeted and efficient and to, you know, hit people at all these different touch points which we probably haven't considered before. Um, so, so the prevalence of data, and then you combine that with dynamic, I think there's a huge amount of opportunity. Just to ahead.
1: reassure though, we're not talking about individual, as I said earlier, we're not talking about individual targeting, so we're not literally no. tracking Brian from his house. We're looking at people like Groups. Brian, yep. people who have a tendency to be interested in certain categories and where they tend to flow and what times they tend to flow and when they're most likely to be interested in a message. That kind of behavioral data that comes from app usage and and um, internet search activity on your mobile is incredibly informative. But we're not looking at it on a person-by-person basis in this medium. Um, so it's aggregated data. It's not intrusively personalized data. Yeah, We have to be very careful of that. GDPR, which is a kind of European invention, is, is affecting a lot of countries around the world. Um, so we were using aggregated and anonymized data, but we're looking at people types in a way that we couldn't before. And we were looking at where people lived before through census data and, and other things. And we have various different audience measurement techniques around different markets. It, it varies country by country, but mobile data, not always as perfect as some of its vendors would have you believe. So we don't believe in Plumbing on, you know, diving in on one source only, but trying to aggregate several different sources to average out errors. But it's but it provides a new level. The other thing that I would add is um, technology automation in the medium. It was historically a very manual, transactional medium, um, and you know it we, we was bought as I said earlier in in kind of chunks of time that weren't very flexible. And now we have technology both in media vendors and, and in um, businesses like PosterScope that enable us to transact in a much faster, more um, dynamic, and 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 quick way. Um, so I think automation, the use of data, and dynamic content—I'd say were my top three yeah. frontiers in the medium. There, before I let you guys go, are there opportunities
0: that that um, that haven't been uh, fulfilled to their to the best I mean you you talk about hopping on the tube and going to piccadilly but the actual trip on the tube you just see a couple of weird old ads up on the inside of the trains and 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 you wonder sometimes well wow, is there is there some regulatory hurdle here that's hard to get across or um you know and the and like big public transport audiences not just in London but but all around the world you is there some reason that's that they're not um, used, targeted more? Is it hard to get to those people?
1: I'm not sure you're right about the London Underground. (laughs) No, I've got to go on the record and say there's a huge amount of advertising in in, in metros around the world, yeah. Some of it is incredibly modern, some of it looks a little bit dated and whether the investment's been there in, in those infrastructures usually depends on the city and the ownership or the regulatory control of that environment by the city. Um, but I don't think, I don't honestly think there are any significant barriers. Um, the rate of kind of investment in this medium has been enormous in the last few years, both in terms of corporate investment in, in buying businesses. We've seen that here um, in the last 12 months with, with APN and, and Deco and with uh, O Media as well. Yep. Um, so we've seen the same in, in the UK. We're probably going to see the same in the US. Um, with consolidation so there's plenty of money being invested in the medium both in the infrastructure and in the corporate environment um i don't think there are i don't think there's a break on progress what we need to do is keep modernizing the medium and and attracting new advertisers to it Um, but it's a strong medium it's growing well
2: i think what you might see is things like wi-fi playing a bit more of a part You know, understanding more about how the people move, who moves around the city, you know what type of audience clusters you're dealing with. Historically, that's been difficult to understand in places like the, the underground. And I think, you know, as you see these these tenders come up for renewal, we've got the City of Sydney tender at the moment. We had the the Yarra tender a couple of years ago. You know, part of those tenders will have Wi-Fi components to them, as well as how quickly you digitise the assets. So. I just think there'll be more opportunities t- to do more interesting things, but I don't think I agree with Stephen. I don't think we're being held back.
1: No, they got you know there's any kind of infrastructure that gets installed in a city centre these days. I think has a there's a reasonable demand for it to do more than just serve advertising. Wi-Fi is a perfect example of that. That started in in on scale in New York with Link NYC. It's now come to London and many other cities as well. Um, that's an opportunity for us, I think, because where public s- service becomes a brand can be associated both with a service and with an advertising message, adding value to the citizens of the city. That's going to be good for a brand and good for the city. So that's another opportunity.
0: Um, Stephen, you mentioned consolidation, and, and Brian, we've certainly had that here, as you, you said. Is that Can that be... Um, do advertisers worry that there's less... Um, less room to move on rates and things like that if there's fewer players?
1: It- I think, you know, if you're on the on the buy side, whether you're a client or an agency, consolidation on the face of it looks like a bad thing because you have less choice and you can't play them off against each other as well. Um, it depends, obviously, on the companies that are doing the consolidating and what their strategy is and how long-term um, their view is. In the UK, for example, where there's been a lot of consolidation Many of the businesses that have been consolidated with private equity ownership, relatively short-term holdings. Um, Global, uh, which is a big radio business in the UK, has acquired three, three out-of-home businesses in the UK. And what they've done in the radio medium is really turn it around and invest for the long term. And we're confident they're going to do the same for the out-of-home medium. So the answer to your question is in theory, yes, but so much depends on who's going out and who's coming in and what their view of the medium is and what their life cycle in the business is. And in Australia, with, with O and JC Deco, you have two very strong long-term players who are going to help us get standardization in the medium. Equally, the opposite is true. If you have too much fragmentation, you can't bring the medium together in a coherent way as, as easily. So consolidated means simpler technology, better consolidation and standardization of data and audience measurement and things like that, crucially important things. So there are significant upsides to it. Um, I don't think either of the two major consolidators in the Australian market are going to use that position to leverage pricing. Um, I don't think that would be an attractive thing from the medium, no. and ultimately that would drive business away from their medium. So they have to get that balance absolutely right.
2: Yeah, sure. we, we, we were very supportive of of the mergers. Um for all the points that Stevens covered. And I think, you know, <clears throat> I don't believe the prices will be hyped up for the for the points that Stevens mentioned, but also it's the job of the agency, you know, to get to derive the best value for the client. So that's what we're paid to do. Um, so no one was, that wasn't a, a factor in, in us worrying about the consolidation. And like Stephen says, you know, we're going to be around for the next 20, 30, however long, and we want businesses that we trade with that are here for the long term as well. And when those businesses are looking at everything in a short-term lens, they're not necessarily investing in themselves uh, for the future. So I think we've got we've got a good outcome for the market in Australia.
0: Yeah. All right, guys, look, we'll leave it there. Stephen White, Brian McGee, great uh, having you in here, getting your insights into a sector that's, um has been booming and, and looks like it's uh, still going to keep increasing, yeah?
2: Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you,
0: James. Okay, cheers, boys.